Don't stand back, lean in, lean into this process. Yeah. You can help lead by example in showing these folks how to engage in an exam room so it's not a quiet, distant, isolated experience. It's a warm, uh, all hands in experience. Hello, Positive Leaders. Thanks for joining us today. You are listening to the Positive Leadership Podcast with Andrea Crabtree and David Liss, a podcast for everything a veterinary manager needs to know to get the job done. We've been there and we know how hard it is and are here to help share our knowledge and expertise to elevate you. I'm Andrea Crabtree, co-founder of Positive Leadership Podcast, owner of FurPaws Consulting, a certified veterinary practice manager, and HR certified professional. And I'm David Liss, co-founder of the Positive Leadership Podcast. I'm also a certified veterinary practice manager, hold an MBA, and I'm a registered veterinary technician. And this podcast is for you, the veterinary practice manager, supervisor, leader. We want to elevate you by equipping you with relevant content, material, guidelines, instruction, feedback, and pro tricks and tips. We will deliver real life experience along with our super smart guests that will get you through the obstacles that you're facing today with some bloopers and blunders along the way to remind you that you're not alone. This episode is generously sponsored by AmeriVet Veterinary Partners. Better business, happier vets, healthier pets. We are so excited to have another amazing special guest on today. Craig Lassen is a hospital manager in Oregon, and he is the guru. He's an idol of mine. He's been a mentor. Craig, thank you so much for coming on today. Wow, thanks. Jeez, well, this is high praise. <laughs> Thank you for spending time with us today. I'm looking forward to this. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you guys giving me an opportunity to come on board here and share some good conversation about euthanasia today. Absolutely. So, Craig, we have this tradition on the Positive Leaders podcast that we actually don't read your bio. We let you tell all of us and our listeners about yourself. So, Tell me about yourself. Tell me about your background and how you got to where you are and where you're at today. Yeah, sure. Appreciate it. Well, boy, I guess I would say a lifelong uh, veterinary and pet advocate here. I started about, I'm embarrassed to say, maybe a little over 30 decades decades ago it's even hard to say <laughs> and uh, I've worked in I've worked with a couple different veterinary corporations in many small practices uh, probably most influential uh, early on I got connected with a mobile boarded surgeon in the LA area and I was a kind of a junior baby tech back then and and so that gave me a really incredible opportunity to walk inside over 200 different animal hospitals a year and and that experience I think really enlightened me to all the different ways that hospitals can practice veterinary medicine. And it really opened my eyes to things like specialty med and, and kind of the bleeding edge of what's going on in the industry. And so that really sparked some excitement and reinvigorated some interest for me. And so I went to school, got my degree in business administration and finance, and ended up working after that for a couple of large corporations, some well-known groups, a, a smaller startup, and was able to really work on just honing my, my craft and management, making all the mistakes and learning from them and and uh, just kind of wandered down that road as a as a leader and a participant in veterinary medicine and so today 
And now I have uh, settled into a nice, nice big specialty practice here in Southern Oregon where I'm really enjoying my time and, and just continue to stay focused on the, the world of uh, emergency trauma and, and specialty med um, as it, as it experience, is experienced by the people who live in it. And uh, so that's what I do. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So Craig and I were kind of co-managers for a while in the Southern California area. I'll have to say I was heartbroken when he moved to the Northwest, uh, <laughs> but you know, listen up Oregon uh, and listen up um, Southern Oregon specialty. You guys have, have a gem. I will never forget. Uh, we were dealing with some labor, labor stuff, weren't we Craig a couple years ago? And you know, the, the focus was on, right? It was labor percent and labor hours. And, and I'll never forget, you know, guys, Craig developed this spreadsheet that was <laughs> all about labor, but Craig, it was super empowering. It was, Put in, you know, your hours and your average wage and some of these things and it spit out, you know, basically a how many hours do you have to schedule and B, you know, can you hire, but it was just done in a way that was it was it was not it didn't feel like a corporate budget template. It was this like little checklist, you put in a couple numbers and it spit out some really usable stuff. And so it was empowering, you know, to say, here's your labor budget, you're over, you know, but yeah, then what to have a great this tool. tool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, life is busy, especially when you're a veterinary manager. So I'm a big fan of automating things. I mean, I, I don't even have light switches in my house. I switched them all to sensors. So when I walk Excellent. in, they, they just turn on, they turn off, and I don't have to think about it. So if I can create that in my work life in a healthy way, I, I go for it. Yeah, awesome. I So Craig, what is a book or podcast or a continuing ed course or class or, or seminar that you've gone to in any subject that's really left a really lasting effect on you? Man, that's a, that is a tricky question. I have just a insatiable appetite for trying to learn new things because I feel like I'm always challenged by something. So I think I'm consuming a lot. So recently I got onto a, a book by Jocko Willink uh, leadership strategy and tactics, a field manual. Um, and that is really, and for those of you like me who drive a lot, it's available as a audio book. So that's a plus again, automate that thing nice. and do, do two things at once. Right. But, Multitasker there. Yeah. But, um, Jocko's a really interesting guy. I hadn't heard of him before, but somebody I trust recommended it to me like most good books. And it's amazing. It just really walks through some very practical perspectives of leadership and, and your role as a leader and your voice and, and where you need to be positioned with people and why, uh, why respect uh, is such an important aspect of how you approach your communication with people and just stuff that um, seemed pretty fresh compared to a lot of the books that are out there, but also very practical, um, very easy to listen to. He's a great storyteller. And, and this one, he narrated his the book himself. So it was really it was really nice. I think you get a better sense of the author uh, and their intention that way. So so yeah, nice. leadership strategy and tactics. Awesome. David invited you on to the show. I, I have to say, I never had heard your name before. I, I wasn't familiar with who you are. And when you responded, your email was so eloquent. <laughs> and I wondered, this has to be a cut and paste. He had to have worked hard on this story. And so he just cut and pasted this into his you know, responses to people. But your story about euthanasia literally stopped me in my tracks when I read your story and thought, wow, this guy has got something to say about euthanasia. Tell me your story. Let's hear about it in your words 
I'm sure you have this story down verbally, though. Tell us about your story when it came to this euthanasia that you encountered. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it still gets to me today, but um, it was my very first job. I had worked as a uh, grooming and kennel assistant in a in an animal hospital, so my first animal hospital job also. And I had been there for I don't know a half a year maybe, and was moving through pretty well. You know, I'm a I'm a good worker, so uh, I landed in an entry level technician position. Had been helping um, with some of the case management, just doing husbandry and things like that. But we had a we had a terminal dog in there that wasn't going to make it too much longer, and I'd spent a few days working on him. It came to that time and the owners were ready to let go and and they didn't want to be there, um, which is mm -hmm. fine. And so sure. the, the veterinarian kind of looked at me and said, you know, hey, here's the drugs. Go ahead and go euthanize him. Wow. And, mm -hmm. and so that's what I thought. Wow. What an amazing right. opportunity. Cool. I get to do this this thing that seems really important in a practice. And and so I found my way back to the kennel and uh, here's this dog and I knew him and had worked on him, as I mentioned. And so you know, I got down on my knees and found that catheter and slipped that needle into the hub. And and I started to press down on that plunger. And as I did that, this life force of an animal that I knew <clears throat> started to fade away and yeah. his head started to hang and his body started wow. to slump and yeah. and then he was gone. And you see I, the eyes, right? Like the eyes kind of glaze over and, they, and, and you see the life go out of the you, eyes. You absolutely, you see it go, you know, you, you feel it go and, and I didn't see that coming at all. I was completely... Yeah, wow completely unprepared and in hindsight probably not an appropriate job for me to do and and i you know mixed emotions there of course because sure. this this veterinarian mm -hmm. was giving me an opportunity in many ways and and in hindsight a very powerful one that has directed my you know my approach to veterinary medicine over the years i mean when yeah that, the course of your career yeah yeah I mean, it, it has remained with me as a, a foundational kind of piece of how i define myself in vet med and how i approach pa approach patient care and certainly end of life care and uh yeah it, so it was heavy and in that moment I, I don't think it fully hit me in that moment but it it just percolated inside me for mm -hmm. weeks months and years and i have never forgotten that i can see it like it happened yesterday and i've been behind the euthanasia of probably thousands of animals right. um over this time in, in yeah. one form or another and so Jeez. yeah wow. talk about framing and talk about changing your direction and impacting you in a way that you know as you said will has made your career completely different than it was i mean i uh you know would say i have a similar background just from being in emergency medicine that euthanasia was and i hate to say it a regular part of the day i mean and i know that uh, right. in general practice it can be too but, but I mean, not like emergency no yeah. we used to put up on the board lines and, and slashes about how many euthanasias we do in a shift and the biggest one was like 23 i mean it's crazy yeah so it's for you you know at the beginning of your career to have ha had the chance to not be you know kind of em emotionally numb or burnt out like you actually got to empathize and connect with that incident must have led to where you are today and what we're talking about i assume <laughs> yeah well i think that you know i in that in that brief moment that i stepped to that cage i i walked up to that cage door in a very transactional manner thinking i have a task to do and cool i'm gonna go do this task and then i was 
awakened to mm -hmm. that moment where I was mm -hmm. taking that yeah. animal's life and ending whatever that animal's history was by relationship to his family members and his experience or her experiences to life. I was ending that chapter right. and a, a yeah. new respect just washed over me to this is a moment that needs to be considered as you yeah. approach it. Whoever you are, you need to respect what you're walking into and, yeah. and handle Absolutely. it. Yeah. yeah. That leads me to a thought, what I want you to expand on more, because this is fascinating. You said something that was super high impact. You started out with, you know, transactional and I'm guilty of it. I'm sure every manager is of kind of thinking of their day, especially as a manager of, you know, you're filing the taxes, you're sending off the payroll report, you're even talking to the client that's really upset. And you, you know, a lot of us have kind of our go-to phrases and then we get to resolution and you click the button in the system. It's very transactional, right? How should, and, and I want to ask you, Greg, and, and as a guru, as an expert in this area, you're an expert because you've been through it and you've, I assume, developed policies, procedures, and protocols that have made this experience for clients just a notch better, you know? So how should a manager and a staff and a practice approach a euthanasia case, work through it, you know, and what's your, what's your idea of best practice? Boy, that is a um, career long yeah, loaded question, right? <laughs> I think I think for everybody, not just me, right? If you're in a leadership position in a hospital and you have some influence, whether you're the medical director, hospital manager, tech supervisor, or the person who's in charge of the exam rooms for that day, um, you know, because that's typically where that is going to take place. Set aside for a moment COVID and the craziness that that has created on the euthanasia process, but oh, um, right, you know, right. And, changes but mm -hmm. yeah but but typically you know what we we try to do and probably one of the things that i try to spend the most time on now in my role as a you know admin person is to make sure that all my team members that are gonna be involved in a euthanasia are thoughtful about that process so when i get a new hire especially if it's somebody who has not worked in veterinary medicine before i sit down with them um, and i one of the very first things i do is talk with them even in general practice because you're right david now you know in a specialty practice the the euthanasia counts are so high and but it, even in the general practice that i just came from you know i think we probably did 400 a year so you know, that's, you know, more than 30 a month, more than one a day, and they don't always happen on a day. So you have those big euthanasia mm -hmm. days. And yeah. And if you've never come to veterinary medicine, other than as a client in the exam room and just experience it on that side, the other side of the exam room door is a whole other experience. And so there's a lot going on that people don't think about after a euthanasia, you know, body care, body preservation, identity of the body. I'm saying body over and over again because we think about it in that way because in that moment we're taking care of making sure this, this animal's body goes to all the right places that it needs to go. And so we're moving these animals around and we're storing them. And if you've never seen that before, it can be kind of overwhelming. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. And Shocking. Shocking. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the thing that I think probably hits people most in the face right out of the gate is that everyone in the back of the hospital is not crying. They're not sad. Mm -hmm. They're not depressed. Right. They mm -hmm. are 
trust me when I say they are, and that Absolutely. euthanasia of these pets takes a huge toll on all of us. If we allowed those emotions to come to life in us every single for every single pet that we euthanized, I mean the the self harm rates and veterinary right medicine, the turnover rate yeah right it's already Wouldn't through the roof last a month right. that's right that's right yep. so you got to have a way to kind of you know deal with all that stuff it away mm -hmm. and you know, people do that in various with various levels of success but but boy oh boy you know if you're not prepared for that and you know you're a brand new employee brand new to veterinary medicine you think this is you know be all puppies and kittens and yeah. suddenly right. you've got just gonna this. say that not yeah. all puppies and kittens all day right it's, it's just not so yeah so we talk about that quite a bit and i try to make sure that my teams really understand that process and then we you know i'll get into more specifics with each of the team members in their role in the in the hospital as that patient kind of moves through that experience with with their owners so what would you say three common mistakes that us as managers make in a practice that we get wrong? Boy, well, I think that managed, you know, managers, so various levels, right? Lots of people in, in hospitals have a, a leadership. You have to find that role, manager, right? Yeah, yeah. Like I, I think what you're thinking of or that, that makes me think of is like people with a leadership component and you know they're in a position to influence this and so i you know i think anybody that is in that position needs to to maybe try to do a couple of things one is get your teams to to not talk so low you know we when people come in the hospital and it's euthanasia time you know so many times i see a reception staff or or whomever say oh you know hello mr liss um today's a sad day yes i have you sign mm -hmm. this paperwork and okay we'll, you know and they they really pull back on their engagement and they they talk with that soft voice and and i think that's a mistake these people are there for a really trying time and are mm -hmm. making a really difficult decision and they need people around them to have some confidence and confidence. some yeah mm -hmm. and yeah. Some, some affirmation for them that like put your personal feelings aside maybe you would have handled that that patient differently if it was your own but for this person this is their choice and they need to feel like they're making a good choice and so once that decision has been made right. I, you know i think we need to you know speak confidently welcome them in let them know we've got the ball let's get them organized let's get them into the process you know so so two, number two to your question i think is we isolate these clients we, we stick them in an exam room real fast, which is appropriate, but then nobody goes and visits them. Nobody yep, talks to them. them. Right. Yep. Yeah, we, we wait until everything's ready because everyone's a little, feels a little awkward maybe to go yeah. and talk to them. And you just, you got to open that door and let them know where the bathroom is, see if they need some water. Yeah. Um, ask Kleenex. them if they, right. yeah, Kleenex. Ask them right. if they've ever been through this process before. That is uh, my favorite Huge question thing. because yeah, it lets right. me know, tells me what they need. If they have never been through it, then I will explain to them what to expect will be coming up next because they don't know. They just know they're going to say goodbye to their friend today. It's terrifying. Right. They don't know if the next person that comes in or, or when you borrow that patient to take her, him or her back to put a catheter, is that it? Right. Are you doing right. it now? And so take that we got to take that mystery out of the experience for folks and, and talk to them yeah and i like that you said that craig because i i remember being in management and where my office was was right next to the euthanasia room and it just happened to be like it was in this one like kind of 
hall down the end of the hallway and at the end of the hallway was the room and then my office it was kind of like the quiet place so we would always turn the light off in the hallway to let employees know that the way when they walk by that hallway and it was dark okay there were the there was a euthanasia going on so it's kind of that signal to like yeah keep your voice down you don't want any you know someone cracking a joke inadvertently and somebody in that room hearing it right Jeez, I don't know what it says that they put euthanasia rooms and managers together all the time. All the, the time. <laughs> yeah. If you're going to cry, go down that yeah. section of the hallway. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You go over there where we stock all the Kleenex. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I think it was great because I remember oftentimes thinking, wow, nobody's checked in that room for a while. So let me go in and talk with them and sit yeah. with them. And and as a manager, I did have a little bit more time to be able to give to a client in that situation where our, our reception and our text don't, don't always have that time, right? So go in there and spend some time with them and talk to them about the process. And I remember saying, you know, have you done this before? And especially when they had kiddos there, like, Mm -hmm. are you sure you want your kiddo to be a part of this? And sometimes Mm -hmm. just the goodbye process is okay, but not necessarily the being present for the actual injection, right? Because they, maybe they don't want their, their kid to be, to see that, right? They don't want that process or, Hey, do you know what this is like? Or right. When we take the pet in the back to that scary place and we're placing a catheter, is it going to come back dead or alive? You know, like, Oh snap. What, you know, what, what does this mean? And I think that's great that you point that out, that we talk them through the process and we make sure that they know, do you know what this is going to be like? Have you done this before? Can we help you through this when they have questions, they don't verbalize because they don't know they're supposed to even ask those questions, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's great that you point that out. And I would love, love, love for managers to be able to take that away. You're training with your staff on day one. Like, take that little gem back to your practice and say, if you don't do this, figure out how you can. I love that, Craig. Yeah. And, you know, to keep it kind of in that manager realm, you know, if you've got folks that you are putting in that exam room position, it's a, you know, it's a high client interface position, so they should hopefully be good communicators to start with, but they may not be, you know, prepped and experienced with this. So I'll, I bring them in with me uh, while I go in and talk to the owners. And sometimes mm-hmm. I'll tell them what I'm going to do so they can watch how I mm-hmm. move. And right. I'll explain it. I'm, I'm going to go in and I'm going to ask them these questions. And at some point I'm going to look for an opportunity to put my hand on somebody's shoulder right. or I'm going to work in i'm going to bring in a glass of water and and watch where i stand so that i don't separate them but you know stand in between them and the patient yes Um, right i'll I'll put my hand on the patient so that you know while the owner they know it's okay to do that Mm -hmm, it's okay to do those things like don't don't stand back lean in lean into this process and so i think you know to your question about what can managers do you you can help lead by example and showing these folks how to engage in an exam room so it's not a quiet, distant, isolated experience. It's a warm, uh, all-hands-in experience. With confidence. Yeah, I love Mm -hmm. that. Hey, Craig, you know, you mentioned something earlier that I want to revisit really quickly because I think it was some mad truth. You said that the majority of time when a client comes in uh, and you see a receptionist or a doctor or a tech, anybody that's interacting with a client, we do the Hi, Mrs. Smith. Oh my gosh, yes, it's just really hard. And here's your paperwork. And they approach it that way. And you said no. You said not that they should be. Hey, Mrs. Smith, it's great to see you. How's it going? <laughs> you know, that's not the way it should be. But they should be confident and forward and efficient. And what's really interesting, I think, is that imagine all of us in the veterinary profession. We all do that. Like 99% of us do the the former, do the more you know quiet voice and timid because nobody's told us how to be with a euthanasia client. They, yeah, you know, right. 
used our intuition or our sense of how we should act. And Craig here is up like, no, that's not. And, and man, Craig, you're right. That's not what they need. They've been crying at home. They've come to the decision. They've, you know, let's say signed the paperwork or talked to the vet about all their options. They need to get in and get out, not in a rushed way, but get stuff done correctly um, and have it done efficiently and know where they're at and then have the time that they need. You know, they don't need us to, to sympathize with them. Um, and I think that some of that is sympathy when we go, oh, gosh, you yeah, know, I was just gonna we're say, not going through that. We've been told that was right. our empathy, right? We were supposed to empathize with them. And so that was our way of showing empathy was saying, lower my voice and pull myself in. And, and woe is you for having to do this instead right. of empathizing with them in a completely different manner, Craig, which is you're telling us, like, go in confidently and say, I empathize with your decision and I agree with your decision. You are making right. the right, right decision. Don't Absolutely. question yourself. Yeah, it's a really interesting moment because I think people just naturally without trying kind of mirror and match uh, someone that they're talking to. So if that person's really excited, you know, we get really excited and if they're really mm -hmm. down and it's a somber moment, you know, that we get down as well. But I think in that in this kind of unique situation, you know, you are in a role, you, you're 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 doing something for these people, you're helping them facilitate a really hard decision. Like David said, they could have been working on this decision for weeks, months right, and right. years, and they mm -hmm. finally got there. And oh, my God, this is a big day. Right. And they're I mean, it's heavy and everybody's different. I mean, we've got clients that just kind of, you know, drop off and go away. And, and that's not who we're really talking about. But we're talking about the folks that are this is a family member. Yeah. And yes. Yeah. This right. is a, there's a lot of insecurity there. And so I don't want them to have insecurity. I want them to see someone who walks up and I don't really even need to know the people. If I'm standing near the lobby or I'm walking down the exam room halls and I see the flags, you know, the door flags that let me know what procedure is happening, I just pop in and introduce myself and, and say, I understand you're, you're here for a, a big appointment today. It sounds like, you know, today's the day. And, right. and so, you know, I just kind of do give them some real talk and, and mm -hmm. ask them how yeah. they're feeling. And, you know, mm -hmm. do you have questions? And that's where I usually slide in. Like, have you been through this before? And I, and like I said, I do really love that question because it lets me know what to do with them. Cause right. if they, right. if they haven't, yeah. then I know how to help them. If they have, right. you know, then I know how to relate to them one or the right. other. But, yeah. yeah, and you don't have to say it with that 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 chippy like David said earlier, like, "Hey, Mrs. Smith, how you doing today?" Like, well, we know how you're doing today. You're yeah. euthanizing your dog in the next few yeah. minutes, right? Yeah. But yeah. you can still have that confidence in your voice and that reassuring, like, "Mrs. Smith, I know why you're here today, yeah. and I yep. I am I applaud you for you know having enough courage to bring yourself in today." That's right. Yeah. I do a lot of storytelling, especially if I know it's a like a kidney failure cat is one of my favorites because I've had two of them. And the first one I did all wrong. And the second one, I was a little bit better about it. And so when I hit that exam room, I know what that client has probably been through if they're managing yep. a renal failure cat. And I say, look, yeah. you know, when I, I know today was hard to decide and they have good days and bad days. And let me tell you about when I, you know, I had a kidney cat and I waited too long and I held on to them for my own reasons. And I regretted that. And I think the decision you're making today is it's a very powerful one and it's the right yeah. one. And yes. I'd rather, yeah. I'd rather say, goodbye to my best friend on one of his good days then wait yep. until he's in a crisis yes. and right. everybody's upset and that's you know that's yeah. just right. my that's where i'm at with it and usually they respond pretty well yeah, yeah you said sure. another thing too that i thought was pretty powerful 
which was telling the owners about how the process goes. And something popped into my head, which was that knowledge is power. And my thought was not, not for us. I mean, it's powerful for us, but knowledge is power for the client. And if you explain everything to them, including your dog could bunny kick, your dog could release urination or defecation, mm -hmm. your dog could have a mild seizure, like what, what, you know, whatever the things are that mm -hmm. we warn them about, your dog could, as eyelids could flick, he could have an agonal breath. You walk them through all that, including this is what we're going to do. We're going to do the paperwork. We're going to move you to this room. This person's then going to come in. We're going to, you know, all of those things really lead to an enhanced client experience because they feel more in control and powerful when they have the knowledge of what's gonna happen, right? Yeah. And you've just given that to them. And I think that's huge. I would say, Andrea, I don't know about you, yeah. but I would say that's something that I work on and have worked on and Craig has influenced me and I teach to my managers or teach to my groups is, you know, we think just, oh, we're gonna push them in a room. We're not gonna tell them what's going on. We should have a catheter and push the dot, push the pink stuff and they're gone. And the flip side is no, walk them through what's gonna happen. And, and, and even one step further is to, to have those exams and those conversations or those end of life care exams prior to that. Like don't right. wait until they're showing up for the actual procedure, that's right. right? That's right. If you know there's a case that's coming and, and we're getting to that, let's have those end of life discussions with them maybe months in advance. Yeah, and, and, and you know, I'm not saying to have it at a puppy exam, but you know, like <laughs> there's going to be a point where this is going to happen. And so are you prepared for this? You know, I, I have a girlfriend who's got a 21 year old cat who's really healthy and doing well. However, she knows exactly what she's going to do when Perry passes mm -hmm. and 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 she's prepared to take those steps when Perry passes. Yeah. And, and that's something that to me is like you, you got to be ready for that in it well in advance so that when you go through that process you're not hearing it because yeah david when they walk in the door and we tell them these things when they're like well wait a minute what's a catheter what's happening why are you putting a urinary catheter in no 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 an iv catheter okay well wait 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 what happens and when they take them away do they bring them back back in the room again so i think having those conversations well in advance if we can right if the, the moment allows us to and not just necessarily the one time right when they're showing up for that, paying their bill or, you know, signing the paperwork kind of thing. Yeah. And I think, you know, as I shared that story at the at the intro about kind of, you know, how that experience shaped, you know, who I am. There there have been many lessons like that, I think, for anyone working in vet med. And and so over the years, you know, another yeah. one has really popped out for me, which is I, I'm really I'm really captured by that moment and wanting to do everything that I can to take fear out of that equation for both the patient and the owner. And as a non-DVM, that's an area that I can really influence. And so to your point, I can re help remove fear for the owner if we can talk about it ahead of time and they, and people need time to process. And so, yeah. you know, yes, like, sure like, absolutely. You know, and like David said, we, we build those processes in so that when you call in the receptionists have various things that they address and they certainly, you know, all the normal stuff that most hospitals should be doing at this point, which is let's get all the, let's explain the process. Let's make sure that all the finances are taken care of. All the signatures are finished so that when they hit that exam room, there isn't any Anything else right. that they really need to do, they can do this and they can get out of there. And uh, and not and so like you mentioned, have you know knowledge is power. If they know what that process is going to look like, and they know what to expect, you know that takes that that whole fear out of it. And so that's an important part yeah. for us, is for sure. 
That makes sense. So we always on the Positive Leadership Podcast always have a positive, haha, P-A-W, spin on things. And so we've already talked about, you know, what are three things that we don't get right as we as we start to move into the end of the episode. What are one or two things, Craig, that we do, you know, you think we do decently well and uh, or, or if we don't do them well that you think we could put them into place and we always emphasize tomorrow, like we want this podcast to be high impact and, and Monday morning the managers could start doing so what you know what are one or two good habits or, or, or new things that they could do with, with in the euthanasia experience realm that our managers and our listeners could put into place tomorrow mm. uh, two things it, the very easiest one that hopefully most people are already doing is if you're charging different prices for um, owner present or owner not present stop doing that um, just put a catheter in every animal. They're cheap. It shouldn't influence your pricing at all. Just make sure every patient has a has a really solid IV line so that there is no perivascular experience there. Get that done and don't look back. So that's simple. You could do it tomorrow if it's if it slipped by you already. Two, upgrade those exam rooms. You know, you go in there and really just sit in there for a minute. You know, we've said it a million times, but it never gets old sit in your euthanasia room and just listen understand what the client's hearing when you're in an exam room for a euthanasia as a client which i have been you guys have been it's a heightened state of emotion your ears are on every sense is at max yes max high alert Uh uh-huh for sure yeah and you're looking at the pictures and your mind is just all over and you're and you're on the ground right normally you're on the ground and so you can see like the bubble gum underneath the table or whatever or the or the ear hematoma smuts or you know (laughs) right the baseboards are disgusting yes yeah so go sit in there and just hang out for a minute and think about what you could do to make that space warmer neutral comfortable um, we love to add water features in there those little wall mounted water features because that dampens the noise oh, yeah. a little bit great idea um, yep and so you know if you can install little uh, rubber gaskets at the base of your door if you happen to have one of those you know real gapped doors where the sound just carries underneath what we've started doing and this might be more than tomorrow but we install ready lights now so you let the owner know, go ahead and visit before the euthanasia, or maybe, you know, again, after the euthanasia, hey, take your time, let us know when you're ready. And then what mm-hmm. do you say? We'll just be hovering around the outside right. of the door, yeah. ready to pounce. So we put a little switch in there, and when they flip that switch, it illuminates a blue light in the reception area or in your treatment area to uh-huh. let your teams know, hey, they're ready, and you can just pop in there. You know, I have one hospital that has a something similar to those ready lights where it was a button that the client pushed and then in it rang a bell in treatment. It was like yeah. a doorbell almost. And it was it was fantastic except for the technician that was explaining to the to the client and her son that were in the room, "Hey, so whenever you're ready, spend as much time as you need. We're, you know, on standby. Whenever you're ready, you know, just push this button and then and then we'll come in with you." And that's all they said. And so out the door they went and they waited and waited and kept checking in, kept checking in. She was doing okay. You want more time? Yes, yes, yes. Finally, she broke down the owner and said, I can't push the button. I just can't be the one to euthanize him. Oh, God. Yeah. 
And the owner thought that the button meant it's like somewhere magical, oh, right? God. The euthanasia oh, solution was gosh. going to go into this dog. Uh, and I thought, oh my gosh, right. So we also have to teach our staff to, to use the right words, right? Or if we would explain the process that the doctor's going to come in or the, you know, the RV, whoever it is going to come in and they're going to inject a solution into the IV that will make them go to sleep, you know, whatever, however you say it, but think about how you say things to clients, right? Because this poor client was thinking if she pushes this button, she's going to kill her own dog and she just couldn't do it. Could you imagine? Right. I mean, I just, I, I, to this day, I get goosebumps thinking about that poor client trying to sit there, you know, to tell herself that she could do it. She could do it. She could do it. No. Yeah. Well, it's, it's an important point to reflect on. I, you know, I think that words matter and communications, everything in that exam room. You know, if you're a, if you're a manager designing your teams so often, and I think this is a, a misplaced strategy for many reasons, but we hire new folks and we say, well, they're, you know, they don't know how to put in catheters, take x-rays and do all the medicine things. So we'll put them in the exam room to learn. And, you know, that exam room is where you're doing some of your most sensitive communication, whether it's presenting complicated treatment plans right, or yes. discussing or discussing the uh, the euthanasia instant right, button. Right. You know, you want to make sure you get that right. And so your people should be good communicators. And definitely if you are a good communicator, you're, you should be real thoughtful about your word choice yes so craig if you could give one piece of advice to our listeners today about anything in the world if you could have had this piece of advice uh, given to you as a younger self like what would it be what would you tell our listeners today boy that is a great question <laughs> think about what you want to be in veterinary medicine if you're going to be in this business it's a big world and there are a lot of different things and I struggled for years because I thought I wanted to be a veterinarian, you know, I'm going to be a doctor, I'm going to be a lawyer, I'm going to be a veterinarian. And so I never thought past that. And I charged through the first 10 years of my work life aiming towards that. And it took me a while to understand that I actually experience veterinary medicine in a different way. And I, I vibrate on a different channel of vet med. And there are, yeah. there are a lot of channels to live on, yes. on this, this crazy train of veterinary medicine. And, and so don't limit yourself to thinking that, you know, you have to be a veterinarian only, you know, there are so many different things that you can mm -hmm. do and, and ways that you can influence the world of pet care that it's just, you know, it's exciting. And so I, you know, my, my career has, I've, I've had a good career and veterinary medicine has been really good to me over the years and I've found ways to evolve all around in that, in that business. And so keep your head up, keep your eyes open, look for your opportunities and define yourself. You know, don't, don't just let yourself be defined by other factors, but you can take control of a really good time in veterinary medicine if you're paying attention to it. So we've had these encounters as managers and I'm sure you have the one that sticks out in your head where, you know, chin hit the ground, like eyes popped out like pugs, where you think no freaking way this just happened. Like, is this real? Pinch yourself, palm slapping the forehead. You cannot make this shit up story. Tell me about the one that sticks out to you the most, whether it's a client or an employee or a boss, like what situation to you are you just like, no freaking way, shut the front door, this just happened. <laughs> you know, you know, I think that similar to my euthanasia, you know, the euthanasia story that so um, directed my life, I had a boss experience that uh, that happened as well. Um, 
uh, we'll just say Dr. L. Yes, right. Change the names to protect the innocent, right? That's right. In Laguna Beach, um, you know, know, mid-level tech and thought I was hot stuff and doing my thing and the way I wanted and when I wanted and kind of, you know, just um, (laughs) living my life. And uh, my boss strolled past me around the lunch hour and he said, hey, Craig, why don't you join me next door for lunch at Cedar Creek Grill? And I thought, woo, this is going to be awesome. And so I wrapped up what I was doing and I headed over there thinking, cool, lunch with the big boss. And I stroll back to where he is and he's sitting alone at the table and there's only one place setting. And I sit down and he says, uh, he says, how you doing? I said, good. He said, are you... uh, you enjoying working here? And I said, yeah. And he says, because if you're not sure, I can help you make a decision about that right now. And I went, whoa, this is a different conversation than I thought it was going to (laughs) be. Yeah. (laughs) The stunned look on my face must have said it all because he turned his head towards me and he said, look, you got a lot of potential, but you need to get your priorities right. I don't think you're focused here and that's not going to work for my team. And I said, Dr. L, you never have to have this conversation with me again. May I be excused? I'm going to go get to work. And he said, that'd be great. And I walked away. That moment, I mean, that is the moment that I grew up, not only in vet med, but in my life. And so if Dr. L is out there, thank you for that 33 (laughs) years ago. Nice. Um, You really like that. In that moment, like my whole life changed because something snapped inside of me to have a bigger perspective about what was going on in the world and, uh, you know, get off my own, looking at my own self and looking at the rest of the world. And so I owe him a lot for that because everything changed from that day on. And I never forget that little meeting that we had. (laughs) Awesome. Lunch for one. (laughs) Yep. So, Craig, as we start to wrap up the podcast, we have a tradition here at the Positive Leadership Podcast where we like to go through our rapid fire. And the rapid fire is really meant to be these kind of, you know, Freudian, right off the tongue, less than 30 second response to each question. So, Craig, tell me about your most epic failure that has left a lasting impact. Uh, I think the first pet that I lost under anesthesia that I had uh, direct uh, attributable action to from a monitoring point of view really, really hit me hard. And Craig, tell me about your proudest moment. That had to be graduation from San Diego State University after a long reentry program and a, and a hard effort to get back into a, a college a university uh, mindset. So why veterinary medicine? What do you just love about our profession? I think uh, looking into the eyes of some older pets that I've had and realizing that these amazing creatures have affected my life so much that I was just immediately drawn to giving back to them. And what about self-care? How do you practice it? How do you decompress? I try to talk a lot to my loved ones and my trusted network, and I try to make sure I am exercising um, as much as possible. A tired puppy is a good puppy. How do you balance work and life and do you experience uh, work guilt, manager guilt in the in the balance? 
Yes, I th- yeah, I think we all do. And if anybody's got some good tips out there, I'm still looking for them. It's a really hard equation, but one that I think we all have to pay close, close attention to. But certainly work guilt is real and you've got to find your channels for separating it. I try as much as I can to just leave the office at the office. What keeps you up at night, stresses you out or causes you anxiety in uh, your practice? Uh, forgotten projects. The ones that you forgot all about that suddenly you remember uh, when you open your eyes for some weird reason at three in the morning and you never close them again. And what gets you up and out of the bed in the morning? What excites you to start your day? New projects. I have to keep it creative, otherwise it gets stale. And so when I've got new projects going on at the hospital, things that we're trying to launch, team members I'm trying to help um, achieve something, that really, I get really excited to show up for those events every day. Well, Craig, it has been an absolute honor. We appreciate it greatly. Thank Thank you. you. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you, Craig. So much. Such good knowledge, such good you know, just mic drops all over the place. <laughs> uh, well, my pleasure. It's been it's been really fun, and I again, I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, to help further this discussion. I, I hope that some folks out there benefit a little bit from it, or have something that uh, stimulates some thought for them to improve that world of euthanasia. It's just so important, and I really appreciate the opportunity, you guys. For all the positive leaders listening out there, we hope you learned something to take back to your practice to put into use tomorrow. We want to hear from you, good, bad, and everything in between. So email us at positiveleaders at gmail.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. Want to hear about a specific topic on the podcast? Email us. Want to have your you can't make this shit up story featured? Email us. You can listen to us on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the Positive Leadership Podcast and be sure to rate us. Check out our website at www.positiveleaders.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. And as always, catch us on all the socials. Social media management and website design by Dog Days Consultant. This is Andrea. And David. Signing off until next time. Stay happy and sane. The Positive Leadership Podcast is solely for informational purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided in this podcast are general in nature, and such information, statements, comments, views, and opinions, and the receipt of this podcast by any listener are not intended to be and should not be construed as the provision of any business advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers and guests, are those of Andrew Crabtree, David Liss, and their guests only, may not be current, and do not represent the statements, comments, views, and opinions of any other person or business entity. Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and or the Positive Leadership Podcast do not make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the information, statements, comments, views, or opinions contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage of any kind whatsoever, is expressly disclaimed.